Amen. Well, I'd love for you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. We are going to be looking at verses 7 through 10. So you could find this on page 1,156 in the Bibles provided in the chairs. We are still in this one long sentence. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14 is one sentence in the Greek. So this is all one sentence. So all these Sunday sermons were still in one sentence. So here we're seeing where we finally are revealed the how. The how. We understand the who, that God is the one who saves us. Why? Because he wants to. Because it's a part of his purpose and his plan and to display the glory of his grace. But now we get to see the how. How does he do this? How does he bring this about? And it's these two words, redemption and blood. Redemption and blood. So those are the two key words that we're going to be looking at this morning. So Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. Let us go to God in prayer. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you do display in your scriptures the faithfulness, the obedience, the willingness displayed in your Son who was so willing to go to the cross so that we could have forgiveness, so that we could have freedom. How wonderful this is. Father, we pray that you will guide us through the power of your Holy Spirit, give us discernment and wisdom to understand your scriptures, transform our hearts and minds according to you, your will and your ways. In Christ's wonderful name, amen. Here we see the Apostle Paul taking language that in the Old Testament was focused like a laser on the people of Israel. We saw this when it talked about chosen. We understand in the Old Testament that the people of Israel were the chosen people. We understand this where in Ephesians 1 it talks about predestined. And how God has predestined, how he has chosen, he has made a nation. So here we have two more words that in the Old Testament are focused in 
on the people of Israel. And now the Apostle Paul takes that and broadens that out, not only to descendants by way of the flesh of Abraham, but all of Abraham's children in faith. So here we see, when we look at these two words, redemption and blood, we see where the Apostle Paul is broadening out that understanding that when in Ephesians, the, this letter to the church in Ephesus, when the Apostle Paul speaks of the people of God, when he speaks of the church, when he speaks of the redeemed, when he speaks of the chosen, when he speaks of the predestined, he is speaking of people of every language, every tribe, every nation, Jews and Gentiles. This is what we see taking place here. And it's all the more clear right here, starting in verse 7. And this is a part of this mystery that we're going to look at in verse 9 being revealed. This mystery that Jesus Christ is Lord, not only of Israel, but Lord of every nation, every tribe, every language, every human being. And God has, before the foundation of the earth, chosen a people, a holy nation. And these people, this holy nation, this kingdom of priests, is not only exclusively of the people of Israel. Remember the purpose of the blessing to Abraham was that he would be a blessing to many nations. He would be a blessing to all the peoples that God is going to choose and make one body of his son, Jesus Christ, one church. So here again, we see this key word that the apostle Paul is using. He's going back into the Old Testament and he's taking hold of this key word, this key theme, and applying it to the church. And this is good news. Because who here is a Gentile? That would be me. So hallelujah. We see the gracious call of Jesus Christ extended to us. And here we see it in Ephesians 1. So we're going to look at here first at verse 7. In him, the him there, of course, is Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah. Jesus born of a virgin birth of Mary. Jesus the one born in Bethlehem of the seed of David. Salvation comes through the Jews. Here we see this in him. This is Jesus. In him we have redemption. So here's the key word, redemption. And how do we have this redemption? Through his blood. Through his blood. When you understand this term of redemption, I take you first to Deuteronomy chapter 7. This is one of the most beautiful sections of the Old Testament that explains the word redemption and applies it to the people of Israel, to the descendants of Abraham. And here we see where the Apostle Paul is going to take that concept of redemption 
to the people of Israel and apply it to all those who are saved in Jesus Christ through his blood. So Deuteronomy 7, Deuteronomy 7, starting at verse 6. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you. You can see where this is almost, you can see where the apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, goes back to passages like this. And this is what we see, Ephesians chapter 1, just literally taking term by term, phrase by phrase, and applying it to the church. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you. There it is. To be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. Remember, God comes and he chooses Abraham. And from Abraham, he creates this nation. From Abraham and Sarah, he takes this one couple and creates a people. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and, here's the word, redeemed you redeemed you what did god how did god and why did god redeem the people of israel he redeemed them from the house of slavery from the hand of pharaoh king of egypt remember the story in the old testament god sends moses moses comes before pharaoh let my people go. Remember, that's what he Let my people go. He speaks it out. Because God is going to deliver the people of Israel. He's going to redeem them. Redemption. The concept of redemption is when you buy back. You buy out of. And here we see redemption is where you buy a slave out of their enslavement to a master so that they can be free. You pay the slave price. You redeem them. You redeem them. So here where we see it in the Old Testament, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying him them. He will not slack with one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. And that's where we find our problem. That's where we find our problem. God makes it clear. 
the faithful God who keeps his covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. So if you want to be absolutely right with God, according to the law, according to his commands, all you have to do is obey his law perfectly. To obey every single command in the scriptures completely. Now, as, uh, I won't ask hands for if anyone's accomplished that. Because I would not be able to lift my own hand on that one. So here we have an issue. God speaks of his love. He speaks of his love to his people. He speaks of redeeming people. And then he speaks of showing love to them as long as they obey his commands. And then he speaks of destroying and rendering his judgment on those who hate him, who do not obey all his commands. So that's where we find ourselves under the law. Under the law. So now comes Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ comes, and now you see the situation. For God to be just... Our sins must be paid for. The wages of sin is death. So we are all indebted before God. So we are faced with two options. Either we pay the full penalty of our sin, which means eternal punishment. I don't want to pay that debt. You don't want to pay that debt. Or... You believe and trust in someone else who has redeemed you, who has paid that debt, and who has given his life for your sins so that you can have his righteousness and life eternal. I would go with that option. And that's what the scripture presents here in Ephesians chapter 1. We see where Jesus Christ comes and he brings the redemption. He brings the eternal redemption. He does what we could not find in the law because we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is Romans 3. Romans 3 says that. For all, all, every person of every tribe, every nation, Every language, every people group, every human being, whoever has lived, is alive now, or will live, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone. So we are all under condemnation. So we all need redemption. And that's what Romans 3 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we see where Jesus comes and he redeems us. He pays the price of our sin and the debt we have with God the Father. Well, not only that, Hebrews 2 talks about Jesus come and the redemption we have in Jesus. Jesus come and he destroys the devil and the power of death. So we see where we're also redeemed from the power of the devil. And we're redeemed from the power of death because Jesus died and he rose from the dead. 
He is victor over death and over grave and over the devil. The entire letter to the church in Galatia. Galatians, you look at this, Galatians chapter 1, chapter 3, chapter 5, keeps coming up with the theme of redemption. Galatians chapter 1 says Jesus came and the redemption we have in Jesus has freed us from the present evil age. Galatians 3 talks about the redemption we have because of the blood of Jesus freeing us from the curse of the law because Jesus becomes a curse on our behalf. Galatians 5 speaks about the redemption in Jesus Christ frees us so we can now live free from sin, free from the world, free from our fallen flesh. And he says, don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Because if you're in Jesus Christ, you have been set free. You've been redeemed. You've been bought out of slavery to sin bought out of slavery to the devil. You've been bought out of slavery to the world. You're free. So live as a free person. That was the purpose of the whole story of God freeing the Israelites. He's showing what it is that God can miraculously in His power come and save a people He can save them. And not only can He save them, but He can walk with them and teach them and guide them. But the people of Israel, once they're out in the wilderness, what did they start to do? Grumble, 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 grumble. Grumble, 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 grumble. Even to the point where, what did some of them say? We'd be better to be slaves again. Go back to Egypt. And that's what we do every time we sin. That's what I do. Every time I sin, I say, Oh God, you know, you did such a great thing with sending your son Jesus Christ to shed his blood and die on my behalf and free me from sin. But I think at this moment, I, I, want, to, I want to dig up that old man that, that I died to, that old flesh, and I want to strap that corpse of my own sinful self back on my back. I want to go back into slavery. That's what we do every time we sin in word, thought, and action. That's why we're blessed in that we understand in Jesus Christ the redemption that took place on the cross was once and for all. It covers every sin we have sinned, The sin we deal with now and every sin we will sin has been paid in full. The redemption price has been paid. I remember when my, I remember there was this tradition where I grew up and it was where you people, when they finally paid their mortgage off their house, has, has anyone seen this or heard of this or been able to do this? When they finally paid off their mortgage, they would burn it or they would do some kind of a, oh, finally. I remember this. I remember this. People would take it. They'd have a little bonfire out there and they'd take that 
statement, and they'd say, finally, we are free of the dead of this house. And they just throw it in the flames. Remember that? There's this big celebration. It's this mortgage, this great death that was over you for these 30 or 40 years, however long your mortgage was, was finally paid off. Well, let me tell you, a far greater debt than that, that all of us had before God. If you believe in Jesus Christ, if you trust him, if you've been made alive to believe when Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. It is paid for. It is covered. It is accomplished. Your debt of sin was destroyed because his righteousness was given to you. That's the redemption. That's this concept of redemption we see displayed here. And that's why in Deuteronomy 7, this very language that God is employing with the people of Israel, the Apostle Paul is taking and applying it to the church, Jew or Gentile, free or slave, Greek, barbarian, Scythian, it doesn't matter what language or tribe or people or nation in Jesus Christ, if you are in him, you have been chosen, you have been predestined, you have been redeemed, and you are a part of a holy nation, a people of God. Second Samuel also touches on this. Second Samuel 7, he he talks about this in verse 23. It says, Who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things? But now we understand that this finds its ultimate fulfillment in the church, that God makes a new people from every people on the earth. This shouldn't be a surprise. As we looked at Galatians, where it talks about redemption, freeing us from everything that we are in bondage to, we see in the Gospel of Matthew the promise that Jesus would come first and foremost because of our sins. That's the problem. We all need redemption, and only His blood would pay the price. Matthew 1, it talks about Jesus It says she, speaking of Mary, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Matthew 20. Jesus makes clear, even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And then Jesus makes it most clear in Matthew 26. And Jesus took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant. This is what communion's all about. This is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. So we see where those two words, blood and redemption, are inseparable. They are united. 
The only way we can be redeemed, we can be bought out of our debt to sin, our debt to the devil, our debt to our fallen flesh, our debt to the world around us. The only way we can be freed of that debt and the debt we have before God and his holiness and our sinfulness is if Jesus Christ comes, the perfect sacrifice, the one who obeyed the law perfectly, the one who never sinned in thought, word, and action, is if he would pay our penalty on the cross and shed his blood to cleanse us completely. Our salvation is a salvation. You read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, there is blood splattered on nearly every other page. This is one of the bloodiest books you could ever read. Because our salvation is a bloody, bloody salvation. This gets summed up in Hebrews 9. Oh, thank the Lord for the author of Hebrews. Here he comes in and he takes that blood of Jesus and shows how it fulfills all these things through the Old Testament. Hebrews 9, 11, But when Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things that have come, even through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls, this is all referring to the Old Testament sacrifices of Israel, either before the tabernacle or the temple. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, remember what John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant. A new covenant. That's why Peter, in Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter, we see where it's said of the precious blood of the perfect lamb, we see where his blood is more precious than gold, silver, anything that could be corrupted on this earth. Why? Because 1 Peter 3.18 says, He suffered once and for all for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. And this forgiveness of our trespasses was lavished upon us. Over Overflowing, overflowing grace. This is how good and mighty God is. When God sends his son to shed his blood, to be as Isaiah 53, as what I read, 
to be slaughtered. We understand here a picture of what this blood means because Jesus had been to the temple. And you see where they do the sacrifices. And as was told with Noah, when they sacrifice an animal, they, they cut so that the blood will drain out. So Jesus goes and he sees year after year at the temple where they're bringing the lambs there and they're cutting the throats of the lamb and the blood comes pouring out. And Jesus knows that will be him. That will be him. Because when we consider the blood that Jesus shed, it started before the cross. Where's the first reference we have of the blood of Jesus in this process of him shedding his blood to the cross? Where do you find that? So before the cross, of course, you have the crown of thorns being pushed down. Blood. Before that, you have where they whipped him. Blood. Before that, you have where he's there before the high priest and they slap him and hit him. It could possibly be blood. But where the blood of Jesus Christ begins to be shed is when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Before any human being rendered any blow or whip or nail to the body of Jesus Christ when he is in prayer anguishing and tormenting before the father the capillaries in his forehead under such strain and stress burst open it said he sweat blood this is where the blood begins being shed by Jesus Christ on our behalf and what is he what is he praying there as as the blood begins to come from his forehead before the father if there's any other way take this cup of your wrath is what that cup is from me but if there is no other way not my will but your will be done so there we see there is no other way. Jesus must drink down the cup of God's wrath. And he bleeds from there all the way through the beating and mocking and thorns till on the cross they drive the nails through. And then eventually after he's dead and the soldier runs the spear in his side and the blood and water have separated. And finally the last drop. Jesus knew that he was going to be the ultimate sacrificial lamb who would be slaughtered to cover the sins of his people. That is the costly redemption that to us who believe and have faith is absolutely free. Jesus paid the price in full so that we could receive the free gift of salvation. This is what it means when we understand we are saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, 
because of God's grace alone. How do we know this? The scriptures alone are our authority, and all of this is for the purpose of God's glory alone. God did with his son what he did not ultimately ask Abraham to do with Isaac. He sacrificed his son, and his son willingly put himself on the altar of the cross. It talks about this lavishing in verse 8. He lavishes this upon us. Not one single drop of Jesus' blood was wasted in any way. Jesus died for God's chosen. He died for the elect. He died for God's people. And that blood is more than makes things possible. It is effective and sure and brings about our salvation but that blood is lavished. It covers all our sins. All your shame, all your guilt has been covered and cleansed and washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Verses 9 and 10 talk about this mystery. And we're going to look more at this later in, the, in this letter to the church in Ephesus because this comes up again. But here we see the focus of this mystery making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And the best commentary to understand Ephesians chapter one, verses nine through 10 is Colossians, which is your parallel New Testament letter, which is almost word-for-word parallel in many ways to to this letter to the church in Ephesus, both written by the Apostle Paul. But Colossians chapter 1 gives us more detail. It fills this out greater. And Colossians 1, starting at verse 16, explains about Jesus Christ. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So this is this mystery we see starting to be developed in verses 9 through 10. This mystery, as it says in 10, is to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And Colossians helps fill that out and show us that it is by Jesus Christ everything was created. By Jesus Christ, all things were created through him and for him. He sustains everything. And everything is to give glory and display the truth of God's grace that is seen in the cross of Jesus Christ. And just as Jesus Christ is the first to raise from the dead after he paid the penalty of our sins, he is the firstborn from the dead, that he may be preeminent and head of the church, his body. This is this mystery. 
that's being revealed and unfolded. That everything is about the cross. Everything is about redemption. Everything is about the blood of Jesus Christ to display God's glorious grace. That's how we know His love. That's how we know His truth. So I encourage you. I encourage you through this coming week. It's, it amazes me. I, we're, we're in this time, this season of Halloween. And it is beyond my comprehension how much blood is employed in the most godless way you can imagine. I can hardly do my run route without profane and grotesque yard displays shocking me every half mile of my run. There is a lot of blood on Halloween. But what so amazes me is it's lost sight and understanding of just how bloody salvation is. And there is blood that is precious beyond comprehension. That's the blood of Jesus Christ. The eternally begotten Son. The Holy One. The perfect Lamb. Who was slaughtered. So that our sins would be washed clean. So that's my hope and encouragement for each and every one of us. As we go into this week... And we continue to face the troubles of sin and temptation and struggle is to pray out, Lord, remind me of how precious is the blood shed to cover my sins. Forgive me, Lord, and help me to live to your glory because of the righteousness given to me of your son, Jesus Christ. And if through this week you encounter and interact with, with folks who, who don't know or don't believe in Jesus Christ, they are lost, they are unsaved. Maybe in a conversation, you could work this in prayerfully if the Lord creates the opportunity. And they're sharing their struggles, their difficulties. Maybe you could lean in and say, well, you know ultimately what you need. They say, well, what's that? You need blood. You need lots of blood. But there's only one source. It is Jesus Christ. So let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you would so love us. That you would so care for us that you would... That you would slaughter the Lamb who is your Son. So that our sins could be forgiven. Our hearts and minds cleansed. And that we could be your children. Oh, how wonderful is your grace to us. In Christ's wonderful name. Amen.